the other the other thing that I love about it is its excellent use of repetition um, in a really beautiful fashion. We see the sort of dance that is involved in folding a massive paper crane. And welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us once again for our themed month for No Script, the podcast for the last episode of this season's themed month, if you can believe it. Yeah, yeah, we have come to the end of one of the hallmarks of the No Script podcast in the themed month. We got one more conversation left, and then we'll be back to our kind of regular scheduled programming where we ping pong all over the place <laughs> um, uh, on, on our scripts and genres and all sorts of things. But it's been a great month, great month talking about mini month, uh, our short plays, um, and and uh, that sort of medium, uh, and, the, and the playwrights who kind of give a lot of their uh, time and energy still into these one act plays or not even one act plays just short plays power power packed plays yeah it's it's nice i think and, and this is our second time doing it this is many months part 2 and it has been nice nice both in the previous uh iteration and in this version to just recognize the art of like um I I'm thinking I, I I'm saying condensation, but that's not what I mean. I mean some sort of adjective which means yeah. condensed, like right, the right. the simplicity, the tightness. I think early on in our theme month, or maybe in one of our promos for it, we made a joke about like in America we like everything bigger and longer and more. And in this particular themed month, and in the previous version of it, we're celebrating less. We're celebrating tighter, more concise, uh, in, some time, in some ways more clear, right? I mean, when we talked about the 10-minute plays, we talked about the sort of single device, the single moment that propels those stories forward. And there is something brilliant and beautiful in that just pure simplicity. Yeah, yeah, simplicity and and kind of limiting your scope <laughs> of what you're talking about uh, to to apply it directly to either one sort of interaction or one sort of moment, um, uh, and and really kind of leaning into it and 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 illustrating it to its fullest extent. That said. We have a very ambitious short play today um, that we're talking about that that does deal with quite a, a, a little bit broader scope, I would think, than some of the other plays that we've talked about in this mini month. Yeah, the, the show that we're talking about today is commonly put into the, the TYA lexicon, the Theater for Young Audiences. I, I don't love that designation. I think a lot of people have trouble with it. I, it... I'm not sure if it really means that much to me, but right, in yeah. that group of plays, there is a, a kind of common format or length, the sort of like 40 minute to an hour length that you see over and over again. And this play fits into that format, but as you say, it deals with a big time, weighty, 
uh, painful, historically complicated, although maybe complicated is the wrong word, but historically uh, 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 relevant and enormous uh, topic as the dropping of the atom bombs, as the aftermath of what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Thousand Cranes by Catherine Schultz Miller. This this play is 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 a is a yeah. It's a heavy play. It's a weighty play, and it, and it gives the opportunity. I think I think it's interesting to to kind of bring up the young uh, theater for young actors sort of idea. Uh, it does offer quite a quite a range for young actors to get to engage with. You have characters of many different ages. You have characters of different backgrounds. You have characters going through some pretty significant, really difficult moments. Um, and also just like great scene work to do. I'm excited for the conversation because the way that this play ambitiously uses the medium that it's in makes for really uh, evocative, imaginative, uh, theater while delivering a really important, uh, 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 significant story and weight and weighty story that needs to be told. So, so yeah, it's a great script and I'm excited to get to chat about it. Yeah. I love your words. Uh, evocative, imaginative, magical, uh, as you'll yeah, see when yeah. you get to the synopsis. These are all things that define this play, even as it deals with illness and death and the aftermaths of the atom bomb. It should be an interesting conversation. Uh, and again, we will try to keep it an abbreviated conversation. That has been our goal for many months to match form with content. So we're trying to have shorter conversations about short plays. I don't know that we've been truly all that successful at it this time around, right. but we, we've made an effort. <laughs> we've, been, <laughs> we've been technically successful, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> well, all righty then. We are uh, we're excited to get started talking about it. But before we do, this is the moment where we ask you to consider heading on over to patreon.com slash no script podcast. Again, patreon.com slash no script podcast. No hyphens, no underscores, all one word. That's the easiest way to find us on Patreon. And on Patreon, you can become a supporter of the show. What that looks like is that you agree to give a monthly amount of money to the running of NoScript. Our lowest tier is just $1 a month, $12 over the course of the year. It is hugely valuable to us for those of you who are uh, patrons already, who, those of you who have made that decision, who are supporting the show in no small way, in fact, in the, the biggest, most meaningful way that I can express, you make doing the show possible. We, uh, we've been doing this show for many years now, and it hasn't gotten cheaper to do. It, it costs money to run a podcast. But what it has been is it's gotten more possible to do because of our our patrons. Jackson and I love to do it, but it wouldn't happen in the same way, maybe not at all, if we didn't have that financial support on Patreon. So big thank you to those of you who are supporting us over there. If that's not you yet, no problem. Just think about it. Again, lowest tiers, just a dollar a month, $12 over the course of the year. And even that is hugely valuable and helpful. If you're a patron already, thank you so much for your support. If not, patreon.com slash no script podcast we hope to see you over there yes thank you all so much to the patrons who've already uh decided to become patrons of the show y'all are great um and uh we'll see you over on patreon.com slash no script podcast and now back to the script 
Here we go. Okay, so we're going to jump into the conversation around A Thousand Cranes by Katherine Schultz Miller. Um, this play, I'm just going to give you, as is our practice, a brief context. Again, today is is many months, so we're doing kind of shorter context, shorter synopses, getting right into the, the focus of the conversation as fast as we can. So this will be a rather brisk pace that we're setting through this context. Um, this, uh, I think I'm going to start with uh, what this play is based on. Um, this this uh, play is based on the life of Sadako Sasaki, who was a, a real life uh, a girl in Japan who was a, a victim of the atomic bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, she... Uh, uh, was affected by the kind of black rain and the radiation uh, that followed from that. She uh, 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 was eventually, she did fine for like 10 years after that, but then at a very young age died as a result of, I believe, leukemia um, from that that bombing. And if you're hearing Jackson sort of think about how to say this as he talks about it, it's because everything he's describing is just the plot. So he's stealing right. knowingly from my summary <laughs> section. No, it's totally fine. Right. We'll, we'll revisit that story when we get there. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, uh, because it is, I mean, it is focusing on, on the real life event. Um, uh, Sadako Sasaki, uh, had, her story was kind of picked up by a lot of people. A lot of people noticed um, uh, at the time that she was kind of going through her illness, her story is kind of galvanized by a connection with these cranes, um, that she, uh, was folding. She was trying to fold 1000 cranes. Um, and that, uh, is kind of connected to a, a book. Uh, a thousand cranes is a pretty popular novel as well. Um, but, uh, she, she was trying to accomplish folding a thousand cranes as she was in the hospital. Um, her her story was kind of uh, widely circulated. A number of books have been written about her story. Um, her classmates have kind of uh, taken up uh, uh, a wound up taking up a lot of her uh, uh, the the mission of awareness around her story. And uh, so, so there's a there's a, a statue of her. Uh, and and so there's 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 lots of like kind of uh, national awareness around her story because it's a direct result of the atom bomb and its kind of long term consequences for the region. That said, um, this play was written by uh, Catherine Schultz Miller. Catherine Schultz Miller, just to give you a quick intro into her, um, uh, she is has, is a prevalent playwright, especially for writing plays for young audiences. Um, she's been writing those plays since 1976. Uh, she served as for 20 years as a co-founder of the and the artistic director of Art Reach Touring Theater, uh, which is based out of Cincinnati. And I, I'm guessing if you've done like if you've been around community theater for a while, if you've been around regional theater for a while anywhere that does uh plays for for young adults or children's plays you've probably done one of her shows or maybe seen one of her shows or at least read one of her shows uh, as you think about your season she's done a, a lot of different shows amelia Earhart, the legend of sleepy hollow thousand cranes haunted houses you don't see me blue horses on and on it goes um a lot of a lot of plays in the lexicon for kind of theater for young adults from katherine schultz miller um, she's also the winner of the 1985 Post Corbet Award for Literary Excellence in Playwriting. And so she uh, kind of turned her attention to uh, Sadako Sasaki's story. Um, and this play is, there's not like a handy list for me anywhere to like tell you all the ways that this play has been produced. But if you Google um, A Thousand Cranes play um, or anything like that, you'll see just many, many houses do this play. Um, they don't they don't like kind of uh, break, break into national news or something like that, but it's a national play. 
Um, it's produced all over the place. It's a really, as as we get into the conversation, you'll see it's a very evocative play. It's a great play for both. I, I think it casts three, but there's at least eight characters. So I imagine there's opportunity to kind of uh, extend that if you need to. So it's a great play for uh, for for houses to do and uh, kind of be either either uh, necessarily small or welcome a broader cast if more come to auditions, etc. So uh, great play for that. I'm excited to get to jump into the conversation around it. Yeah, this is a, a really, really meaningful play. I think if you if you do your own looking into it, we, we're not going to have time in these abbreviated conversations to do some of the stuff we do where we look at reviews, where we talk about specific productions. But th- this play has meant a lot to the communities in which it has been performed and, and the story for which it tells. It's, it's an honor to get to talk about it. I'm going to do just a, a very, very general overview of the plot here so that we have time for a good conversation. The the play follows Sadako, who is 12 years old at the time of the play. She and her family live in Hiroshima. Um, and so this is uh, 10 years after the dropping of the atom bomb in Hiroshima. So we're looking at about 1955. Uh, the play opens with a sort of evocative, imaginary symbol that will become important throughout the play. The, the, the cast is three, as Jackson said. One plays Sadako through the course of the play. The other two actors play all the other characters. So the play starts with those other two actors taking a large, imaginary piece of paper and folding a large imaginary paper crane. From there, we move into the story of the play. Sadako describes her grandmother uh, remembering being held by her grandmother as the atom bomb falls. She describes the tremendous flash of light that cut across the sky is the phrase. And then we advance in time to her as a a 12-year-old girl. And she and her friend Kenji are uh, in the middle of a race. They're they're practicing running. Kenji is faster than her, but they there's a lot of affection between the two of them. They are talking about how fast Sadako is getting as she's been training, uh, apparently training for a race that an important race that's going to come up in her life. Of course, we know that in the in the real life story of Sadako, she was a really important member of a relay team for her school, I think, or a community running club. So this is not pulled from Catherine's imagination. This is uh, true to life for the actual person on whom this story was based. So Sadako and Kenji, they're training. Kenji says that he thinks that she is fast enough to be able to win the race. Sadako goes back to her parents, says how excited that she is about that. Um, Her and her family have a a ceremonial ritual moment where they are uh, honoring the Day of the Spirits, uh, a day when, as it says, they light a candle for our ancestors who've died. They're remembering the grandmother who died during the dropping of the bomb. Then we go back to a race. Kenji and Sadako are back training, and Sadako begins to um, fall over, fall apart. She's experiencing pain, windedness, dizziness as she's running, something that she's been doing a lot lately, the running. So this is an unusual change, and that leads to this incredible device where the two uh, other actors take these masks up on poles playing, I guess, the doctors or the community. They go through a a really ritualistic ceremonial chanting moment where they come to the conclusion after asking a bunch of questions, what's wrong, should we run tests, put an x-ray, Sadako has leukemia. 
of course, after the atom bomb uh, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they saw a large rise in leukemia in children. And this, this is one of those stories. They call it the atom bomb sickness. Um, so Sadako is very, very sick. She's given not a lot of time to live. Her friend Kenji visits her in the hospital, and he says, hey, I have these cranes. I folded a paper crane for you. I have all this paper. Do you remember the story that if you fold a thousand paper cranes, you will get a wish? And so Sadako begins to fold a thousand paper cranes. Kenji brings her paper. Paper appears from other places. You learn in the real story that the real person folded paper on, like, doctor's notepads, on medicine wrappers, on toilet paper, anything she could get her hands on to fold the cranes. Um, and she, she starts to work on the crane. She tells her parents that if she folds a thousand cranes, it's like a race, she says. If I fold them fast enough, I won't have to die. Um, very impactful, very, very powerful. Cranes begin to fill up the stage. And then we get into a sequence between Sadako and her grandmother, her grandmother who died 10 years ago in the atom bomb, returns to her as a spirit and takes her on a journey. They fold again the large imaginary paper crane, uh, and, and they ride that crane to a sort of land of the spirits where they meet other victims of the atom bomb and where the grandmother says, basically, th this is where you need to stay. The, the bomb brought me here 10 years ago, and the bomb has brought you here. You must stay with us. And she says, I I've been trying to fold my cranes. What do you mean? And grandmother asks, what did you wish for? Sadako's wish, if she met that thousand crane threshold, was to make you live, to make me better. I wished that there would never, ever be a bomb like that again. In the course of the story, of course, the, the person of Sadako dies. Um, and the, in the way the play is presented, she does not get to a thousand cranes, but her classmates, her community pick up the, the work of the cranes and fold more than a thousand. They fold into perpetuity. Actually, today, people still leave folded paper cranes at the statue of this girl. Uh, my understanding is that in real life, she actually more than exceeded the thousand crane threshold before she died. But that's not the story told by the play. Um, so they build a monument. This is all sort of describing what happened in the years afterwards, a statue of her holding a crane, and their, their wish is engraved on that statue. This is our cry. This is our prayer. Peace in the world. And that is how the play ends with Sadako looking out into the crowd um, and saying, look, grandmother, she watches the, the, the flight of a, cra a crane basically across the stage. Look, grandmother, you were right. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's a great, great, great kind of brief scope of the play. Um, I think I want I think I want to start our conversation because oftentimes we end the conversation with something like this, and I think I think I want to start our conversation today with saying we're likely going to turn to some of the really cool theatrical elements in this play, how this play uses uh, really cool props and kind of testimonial and and dance sometimes to to tell this story. Um, but I want to say right at this at the at the top of this play or of this conversation just how emotionally impactful this play is, how significant it is to kind of tell these stories almost in a, there's, there's scenes of it that almost read sort of like an oral history, um, where, where some of these characters are just telling accounts of, of themselves. 
Um, and it's a sig significant story. Lots of kind of reports of this play's production leave people with no dry eyes in the house and the sort of impactful nature of this play dealing with the aftermath of, of a significant tragedy um, uh, is, 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 is weighty to say the least and impactful, to, not nearly to say the most. <laughs> um, and, and really, really tells an important story in that way. Yeah, and of course, uh, the the playwright leans into the crane imagery as a kind of driving factor. But there is, in this story, it's hard to imagine a more beautiful picture than this character, this 12-year-old girl, uh, riding the back of an enormous paper crane. And that's, of course, yeah. the image that's used for countless posters. I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous image work, image work, even in the context of what you're describing, this this heavy story, this sad uh, reality of our world. I mean, in, in some ways, this is a, a play that mourns the violence done. Yeah, it's, it's it occasionally feels like a lament almost, or, or a... And 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 maybe that's it's it's, it's a little interesting. I, I wonder uh, I wonder if some of that is kind of Western perspective. This play is written by someone from the Western perspective. A very very uh, one of one of the quotes on the back of the play says, "Written by a Westerner, but shows much sensitivity to the Japanese culture." Um, it often plays in Western houses, so I, I wonder if some of that influences uh, how it's received. Um, but uh, but it certainly is uh, just a yeah uses beautiful imagery to to tell this this. Uh, to to illustrate this lament, I think is all I'm. I'm just gonna kind of wrap up there and say this this sort of uh, slow evidence of the consequences of the action. And then at the same time, I'm I'm never quite sure how to interpret the end of this play. I have seen it once before and then read it a few times. Um, and it, it is this, so counting has occurred through the course of the script, counting up, and then there's different counting scenes that are layered on top of the constant counting up towards a thousand that begins from the beginning. And, uh, the, um, and, and, and continues throughout the course of the play. And so we finally get to a thousand at the end of the play and Kenji launches his crane, the giant imaginary crane that we've lived with the whole play, he lifts it, picks it up, lifts it, sort of launches it into flight. And that's what uh, Sako recognizes as she's got this parasol, which is its own image used in the spirit world. She watches it and then says, look, grandmother, you were right. And it, it's, it's a question of what that point of view is, what that line is in reference to. Uh, what was grandmother right about? What is Sadako talking about? What is she, what, what was right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like some, some room for interpretation. Grandmother is, is kind of a wise figure and says quite a few things. <laughs> um, but, but the sort of like the sort of, um, uh, I'm also kind of left with the the knowledge of the inscription on on the statue um, uh, that that is that is uh, uh, made by the various uh, classmates of hers. That this is our cry, this is our prayer, peace in our world. Um, and there's certain certainly uh, some nearness in the script to those two moments, um, and uh, and the the hope that that is possible. Um, Interestingly, this this play and this story has resurged with uh, the kind of uh, nuclear scare around the war in Ukraine right now. Um, so so uh, again, this 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 play is kind of speaking into a very, very needed thing in the world. So your your interpretation then is that the you were right is a reference to the fact that since those bombings in Japan, 
uh, an atom bomb has not been dropped on a, a group of humans since. That's the piece that is in reference there. That could be that could be an interpretation. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's that, uh, I, I don't have any problems with that. I also wonder if it's in reference to the, the thousandth crane getting folded and that. Yeah. That, that it's it's less about the peace in the world and more about a community rising up to. Uh, honor, respect, celebrate, support, mourn this person and what it means for a community to do that. I mean, in, again, in the in the telling of the play, the community finishes the Thousand Crane project. And I, I don't think that's how it actually happened in real life. But in the way this play is framed, it's the fact that the community steps into the role of Sadako's uh, goal or mission and accomplishes it on her behalf in memory, in mourning, in celebration. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good interpretation too. I like, I, so, so the, the whole structure of the thousand cranes in the script, at least is that if you were to fold a thousand cranes, you would be granted a wish. Um, and interestingly, even Sadako eventually sort of says that a different wish <laughs> than just that I'm not sick anymore um she says uh she, the the list of her wishes actually is she's talking to her grandmother at this point is to make you live to make me better i wish that there will never ever be a bomb like that again um and so so yeah then then the community is the one in in the course of the play of course that that kind of rallies around and finishes the a thousand cranes and kind of makes that wish um uh, uh, on her behalf uh, after she has passed away and there's something interesting that happens too, and this is, I mean, for for Jackson and I who who love the magic and the power of theater, and for the uh, folks listening to this podcast who I suspect do as well, there is something magic that happens because one of her wishes is to make you live, to make me better. I wish that there would never be a bomb like that again, right? So those are the three parts of the wish. And as Jackson says, the structure of the play is such that if you fold a thousand cranes, your wish will come true. So the thousandth crane gets folded. And the question is, does the wish come true? Well, there actually are bombs like that again, but they haven't been dropped on people. So let's say to some degree that wish had come true. The folks that are really tuned into the nuclear threat in the world might disagree with me on that. But maybe within the context of the story, let's say that that came true. Did it come true that Sadako was made to live again or the grandmother is made to live again? Sadako is made better. I think in the magic of the theater, the answer to that question is yes. Her story is still alive. Her story, the story of her grandmother is still alive. She is brought to life by the embodied presentation, by acting. The magic of the theater is that that wish comes true because of the power of the crane story in history that I was made into a book that's been made into films and documentaries that's been celebrated the world over. Out of that, you get a play. And in a play, it's not just that they exist on the page, but they become human bodies. They live again on stage. Yeah, yeah. And really evocatively, too. So, so... 
so the way that the kind of parasol is used to kind of show aliveness and deadness is really interesting and and uh like characters kind of consistently use the parasol to block themselves off once they have died so it's really impactful for her to remove the parasol again at the last part of the play to see that crane fly one more time and it speaks into what you're talking about this sort of like life beyond uh, this life that she is living um, and, and continuing to live as a result of the story being shared. Yeah. There are, there's so many like unique theatrical features that come from the way the play is structured from Japanese theatrical forms. Uh, there, there are elements of dance and puppetry, highly symbolic masks. We just can't get to it all. Um, so yeah. there's a couple of things that are just, I mean, defining for the play the imaginary paper crane is one of them it is it's a it's so powerful it's so effective and it is literally not there that's one of the (laughs) magical things about this play yeah, yeah, it's so so and and it's the other the other thing that I love about it is its excellent use of repetition um in a really beautiful fashion. We see the sort of dance that is involved in folding a massive paper crane uh three times, I believe, in the play. Um once right away at the beginning, once in the middle, and then Kenji uh picks it up and does it at the end as well. So you have this repetition, but each time there's a new change to it. Uh, there's a there's a new riff on it. It's such a great opportunity to essentially choreograph a dance um to to the folding of a paper grain. What a great what a great challenge for a choreographer to to get to step to is like choreograph a dance um set to whatever real music is happening on stage. We'll get to that eventually. Um and <laughs> and uh, make it tie into the folding of an imaginary enormous paper crane. Such a cool prompt. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, uh, have you seen it once before? I think I was in Minneapolis when I saw it. I can't remember some some bigger city than where I typically lived. I, and it's it, there is music, there is instrumentation. That's all called for as part of it. Um, I, I I'm not so sure about the thinking about it as a dance. To me, the more important part of it is the ritual and the ceremony of it. Uh, the way in mm. which there there is reverence shown to the actions of each of the folds uh, it, it is musical that, that there's music happening so there, there i mean there's dance to it but to me the highlighting feature is not the movement but the repetition and, and you said repetition and i'm, I'm very much mm. with you there yeah it's yeah, the yeah. ceremony it's the paying attention to doing it right and there there's of course there's a whole uh, it's not. There's a whole meditative practice around origami. There's a whole history of the 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 value of origami. That I'm not thinking of the right word. The symbolism of origami in a in a culture that is not my culture, and that I think tries to come through in this play. That the attentiveness, the repetition, the ceremony around folding this enormous imaginary paper crane is almost as much of its existence. As as when it's supposedly already folded and used in the scene. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the, the gift of passing it on also the, the, so, so the, so the, the reverence of it, certainly the, the kind of embodiedness, especially on the large scale. Uh, so, I mean, if, if anyone has done origami before, I've done it just like, just like a tiny little bit. I can, I can sometimes do a crane. Um, but I there think is we had a, a deep... bunch of origami at my wedding. <laughs> 
if I recall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, but there is something deeply meditative, deeply embodied about that experience. And then to pass it on, to gift it to someone else, it's almost like like uh, like like you've, you've given a piece of yourself to that other person, where you've taught someone how to do it. Um, and so to have, the, have it pass from Sadako to Kenji by the end of the play is such a beautiful metaphor and, and uh, significant uh, a ritual passing down that, that again, speaks to this, this ongoingness of Sadako's life and influence beyond her. And it's so beautiful the way that the crane at the very end of the play walks this route. I mean, it does it in the middle of the play too, but as part of the story. At the end of the play, it becomes part of the image, which is that Kenji, who is like a living person in the human world, whatever, folds this giant imaginary crane, sends it on flight, and Sadako in the the spirit world, the world of the dead, is able to experience that. This smooth... I don't, that's not what I mean. This... Um, this the uh, a thin place to reference Lucas yeah. makes, between life and death the 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 shroud that is easy to pass through the the fact that maybe Sadako is not quite as dead as what happened you know as 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 her body is maybe let's say that she mm -hmm. has been given a new body by virtue of the magic of theater and so that life and death come even closer and this crane passes between the worlds yeah, it's kind of transcendence, this this ability to move between and connect uh, those two worlds. Yeah, it's such such a beautiful, such a beautiful evocative image, plus like a, pro a great uh, like uh, it's so so that 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 crane may be invisible and, and it's very imaginative. It gets you to kind of see something that would be just utterly I think pretty utterly impossible <laughs> to be impactful if you were actually folding a literal large crane and had to deal with it on stage <laughs> and deal with like trying to hop on it and fly, etc. Um, that that'd be really hard to do. Um, but then there's also the the small cranes that that uh, serve uh, uh, throughout throughout the play. There are there are the visual representation of folded cranes throughout. So you have you have the dual the dual experience of imagining this huge crane and then having something for your imagination to base it off of as well if for some reason you've never seen a folded paper crane. and it even goes a step farther than that because it is hard for me to imagine any responsible artistic thinking theater company doing this play without giving the audience a chance to fold paper cranes right i mean it's not specifically <laughs> called for in the script but how could that not be part of the experience of <laughs> being at this show, being living sure. with this show for that hour. I mean, that, that has to be it, right? I mean, how could you right. not do that? So yeah, if you it. imagine yeah. that that is the next part of the story, right, is the afterplay where the audience folds their own paper cranes, of course, it it that crane metaphor lives even farther, even more out into the world. It goes from imaginary to on stage to in my hand, made by right. me as an audience member. Mm -hmm. taken home and, and reminded of in future days. Yeah, Su super cool, super great opportunity there. I feel like we got it, like the crane is such a great focal imagery. It's obviously in the name of the play. Um, also, there's so many other great props in this play as well, to the point that like, very rarely does a play call for action and I just like can't fully visualize it in the in the like stage directions of the script. And every once every once in a while in this play, the, the stage directions are like trying to explain what exactly the masks are doing in this play. And and it's clear to me that something like super evocative is happening, that like if it was on its feet, I would understand it. But but I I, I was reading it and I was like, man, 
I need to see this because the the level to which the the masks especially tell the story of the spirit world and and the grandmother's story and the different stories of the people that they meet as the grandmother is kind of uh, flying with Sadako through that realm are are super important, super evocative, and 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 ground you in something really visual and stunning when they're on stage. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, another one, of course, that you've already mentioned is the parasol. I mean, the parasol that becomes a yeah. way in which the spirits are manifested, a way in which we show a spirit, a way in which the being deadness but still alive enough to have a spirit that can talk and have these encounters is shown. There's, I mean, there's so much symbolism and evocative prop work being done in this play that it becomes a huge feature of the storytelling. And the way they evolve, they pass between actors and different actors grab them and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just super great, super great prop work, super great way to make like a full experience from a very, a very short play. As it happens, I was just teaching the other day in, in one of the classes that I teach here. Um, we were talking about negotiation over objects as a way to structure storytelling yeah. and a way to think. It was just like then, then we were doing this play for the podcast. It couldn't have hit any more perfectly on point than that um i i want to bring up <laughs> before our time is out the the anti-war the anti-destruction anti-violence uh, uh message that this play brings into communities there is i think truly a, a piece of writing that is genius and I, I i should know i'm sorry but i don't whether this line comes from somewhere else and uh, Catherine has incorporated it into the script, or if it's hers originally, but it's so powerful. Sarako talks about, she's learned that she has leukemia. She's with her grandmother in the spirit world. She's, the grandmother, I believe, has told her, uh, you're, you know, you're not going to survive this. And Sarako says, oh my gosh, the bomb was 10 years ago. How can it still be with me? And the line the grandmother delivers, which is a as, as powerful a statement against war and violence, violence as destruction as you're likely to see the grandmother says the bomb continues to fall sadako it's falling even now yeah yeah the 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 so so certainly that line the lines that the grandmother speaks over sadako on multiple occasions and the real uh the real grief of the family and the the mother especially has this this the multiple scenes where she is kind of dealing with the the, the full ramifications of what this means for them, what this means for Sadako. Um, yeah, yeah, so many scenes in this play really deal with the long-term consequence of of that kind of violence. Yeah, I agree. And, and in some ways, there's a message of inspiration in Sadako's life, which is strange because, of course, she died. It, it's, it's actually, as one of those kind of unique features of humanity, it's remarkable how inspiring that story has become in history, um, despite the fact that this is a person who died as a result of the cancer she was given as a baby from radiation poisoning after the dropping of bomb. And it's, it's, humans are, are, are a weird species. And, and stories like this sometimes remind you how strange life can be and how powerful stories, how powerful, in fact, that's, instead of interpreting it, I'll just say that, how powerful stories are. Yeah, yeah, the level to which stories uh, rally people around them. 
um, and and can have effects long beyond the telling or the 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 original event that prompted the story. Um, yeah, it's it's an incredibly impactful play, an incredibly magical play. We're we're coming down towards the end of our time on this uh, this particular podcast to chat about it. Um, but there's, there's so much more we could dig into, like all of it. We could dig into any, like, I feel like any three pages in this script, we could have at least a 15, con- 15 minute conversation about, um, because there's so much, so much great scene work in it as well. So much great fun blocking and interesting, like the right, there's a whole race scene that you described in the synopsis that, that goes on so much imaginative stage work in this play we, we alas are, are coming to the end of our conversation on it we would love to keep chatting about this play with all of you though um we'd love to keep talking about a thousand cranes on any of our social media places you can find us on facebook instagram or twitter at the username at no script podcast we recommend you find us on any of those sites because that allows us to have the conversation with you but also expand the conversation out through the whole no script community however if if that feels a little bit too much um we also have a gmail uh no script podcast at gmail.com find us on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about a thousand cranes with you absolutely if you liked this conversation or any of the other conversations of our themed month or our season or any of our other seasons just send people you know our way anybody you know that likes theater scripts storytelling conversations about stories send them our way see if they're going to enjoy our podcast i think they will they can find us on podbean on apple Podcasts, google play spotify youtube other places that you find podcasts as well as Facebook. If you just like us on Facebook, then a link to the new episode appears every Monday. That might be an easy way for those less tech-savvy folks in your life to follow along with the podcast. Just connect with us on Facebook and click that link every Monday when we publish. That is the end of our themed month. It's been quite a journey, and we are looking forward to resuming our regular programming next week. Yes, indeed. So until next week when we're talking about another one of theater's best scripts, I'm Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast.